Hello and welcome to this edition of Deeper. It is so good to have you with us today. Uh, before we start, let me just give a quick notice. Um, uh, there'll be no Deeper now until the end of April. This is the last one until then. Uh, I always record on Monday and next week is Bank Holiday Monday, so I'll be having a day off. Uh, and then uh, I'm also having a week off a little bit later in that month. So rather than stop and start, I thought we'd have a break and uh, we will restart again in April. Uh, so do please come back and join me for this, won't you? Don't forget. So we're looking at our passage from Sunday, which is Palm Sunday. Uh, the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And the passage we looked at was Matthew 20. 1 verses 1 to 11 uh, and I would love you to read that passage now so do please press pause read Matthew 21 verses 1 to 11 and then restart the video fantastic so here we are it's the start of Holy Week this is what Jesus whole ministry has been building up to and uh, it's an eventful week and each of the Gospels uh, give a huge amount of time to this week in each of the Gospels usually between a quarter and half of the gospel is spent on this week. So it shows you how significant it is. Uh, and today, the, the, the Palm Sunday uh, reading is, is no more uh, or no less significant than any of the others. Um, and so let's look at the passage verse by verse. And uh, In the first two verses, what we see is uh, Jesus, he's left Jericho and he's on his way uh, which is in the east of Jerusalem. He's on his way to Jerusalem. And uh, in doing so, he passes through Bethany and Bethphage. Um, and he seems to spend a short time in, in those little areas, uh, ministering and uh, preaching the gospel. And then he sends two disciples. We don't know who they are. It's possibly uh, Peter and John, because uh, in the Gospel of John, we see how he sends those two on ahead to prepare the Passover. And it could be that uh, that's this, this kind of the same story and those two disciples had two things to do, get the donkey and prepare the Passover. But uh, I want you to notice specifically here that Jesus is the one taking action. He is the one in control. He has planned this and uh, he is the one who's prepared the person who owns these donkeys to to uh, let, let him use them and he does this knowing I think how his entry into Jerusalem is going to to be received and knowing the effect it would have and of course he is all the way through all the way through the the, the crucifixion the, the trials and those kind of things it, it seems like Jesus is constantly in control even though events are just swirling around and all sorts of things are happening, he seems to be in control. And we see that right here at the beginning. And uh, it is, as I said on Sunday, the whole Palm Sunday event says something about who he is. And maybe that's what Jesus is trying to get across. He wants to say something about himself. Uh, even though through most of his ministry, he's kind of secretive about who he is. But here on this day, at the start of this incredible week, he wants to make a point. And he wants to declare himself as king, just not king, as I said on Sunday, in the way that people expected. He's revealing something of his nature and his purpose. Uh, in verse uh, 3, 
Um, uh, where it says, uh, say that the Lord needs them. Uh, there are some people who say Lord there uh, actually means owner, that Jesus is in some way the owner of the donkeys. Uh, I don't get that. There's nowhere in scripture that indicates that Jesus had any real possessions, uh, let alone a donkey and a colt. So here it seems to be this is the Lord needs them, uh, as in Jesus. And then in verses 4 and 5, we have the, the reference to to Zechariah 9, verse 9. Uh, and this is quite significant, isn't it? Because that passage, Zechariah 9, is, is all about uh, the coming of the king in victory. And that's what we see here, isn't it, really? It's about the coming of the king who has won a decisive battle and all of Jerusalem is praising him. And here in this passage, uh, Jesus is kind of drawing allusions to that. And so uh, where Matthew says this took place, he probably only realised after the event. In fact, the passage in John says that it, the disciples only realised after he had been glorified. So after he had been ascended back to the Father, did they look back on this event and realise just how important it was? Because here he is fulfilling prophecy. He's declaring himself as king See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And it's fascinating to see there that uh, Jesus deliberately, and he would have known this passage, deliberately points himself as the fulfilment of this prophecy. And then in verse 6, there's just a very simple line, isn't it? Uh, And yet, um, it's quite challenging, really. Uh, The disciples went and Jesus and did as Jesus instructed them. Just a very simple line. Uh, and yet that is discipleship, isn't it? Listen to Jesus and just go and do what he says. And to be honest, they must have wondered, mustn't they? What on earth is about what do we need a donkey and a colt for? Who's this person we're getting them from? How does Jesus know they're going to be there? All sorts of questions. And yet they just go and do what he says. And then verse 7. Uh, so they brought the donkey and uh, they placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. And um, it's only really Matthew mentions it's a donkey and a colt. It's two. Um, and there's, there's something there around it. It's, it's fulfilling the prophecy in Zechariah, of course. Uh, that's important. Um, but Jesus, uh, it seems from the other Gospels, sat on the colt, the younger of the two. And the colt was probably um, one a, a donkey that had not been used before as well. So this was an unbroken donkey. Uh, and the best way of, I guess, keeping a, a young colt uh, relaxed and uh, able to, to carry its passenger would be to have its mother along with them. And so um, there's, there's something important there. And that whole image of the, the donkey and Jesus sat on it and also in Zechariah, uh, it, it's all about um, peace, because the Zechariah passage says, doesn't he, that you know the, the the king comes gentle, riding on a donkey. He doesn't come riding on a war horse. He comes riding on a donkey. He comes in peace. He comes to 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 bring salvation, but just as we we heard on Sunday, not in the way that they expected. 
And then verse 9, we have uh, the crowds, um, sorry, verses 8, I should say. Verse 8, the crowds spread their cloaks on the road and cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And probably we see elsewhere, waved them as well. And uh, cloaks is all about submission. When you laid your cloak in front of someone, it was a submissive act. Uh, there's that old um, story, isn't it, of uh, Walter Raleigh and uh, Queen Elizabeth I, and the, she was walking along uh, the path, and there's a huge puddle in the way, and he takes off his cloak and lays it over the puddle so she could walk over the puddle. Um, it's not quite the same thing here, but it's not too dissimilar. And, and it's important here that, to remember that most people only had one cloak, That was a significant piece of garment. Um, It would have been large, it would have been heavy, it would have kept them warm of a night. Um, It was important to have. And we see elsewhere in scripture how the cloak and kind of laying down the cloak was important. So in 2 Kings 9.13, King Jehu is being uh, announced as king. And uh, it says that uh, the people hurried and took off their cloaks and spread them on the bare steps in front of King Jehu. Uh, so there's this there's kind of biblical precedent there. Uh, but also we understand how valuable they are just by in Mark 13, where uh, Jesus is talking about the end of the world and um, how he's coming back again. And uh, he's, he's recounting things that people shouldn't do when he comes back. And one of the things he says is, let no one go back into the field to get his cloak. Uh, and you think, well, why would you do that? You know, we take coats and things for granted. We, most people have them. Um, but it's, it was such a valuable thing that even at the end of the world, someone might be tempted to go back and pick up their cloak because it was so important to them. So this is a, it's a submissive and a sacrificial act. You are allowing this, this donkey to walk over one of your valuable possessions. So it is all about submission and it's all about saying, you know, even if even if with this most important thing, I am kind of handing it over to you. I'm allowing you to use this most important of things. And then, as I said on Sunday, the palms were of, a kind of nationalistic symbolic significance. Um, in in a number of uh, events in history, they use palms as a to wave around. the The symbol of the palm was on Jewish coins. Um, it was an important image. And uh, it's significant that two hundred years ago, uh, the Romans had, um, had taken over Jerusalem, and there had been a revolt led by Judas Maccabeus, and um, when he won that victory, when he came back into Jerusalem, people waved palm fronds in the air. As a, and it's a kind of waves in the same way that we would use Union Jacks. So there's a kind of historical um, in kind of connection as well. And what's significant about uh, the Maccabean revolt is one of the things they had to do was to purify the temple again because the Romans had come in and sacrificed pigs to to their god Zeus. Uh, They desecrated the temple, so they had to go and purify the temple again. And of course, what does Jesus do when he enters Jerusalem now? The first thing he does is he goes to the temple to purify the temple, 
to get rid of the money lenders and uh, turn over tables and all that kind of stuff. So there's all sorts of kind of significant connections here. And of course, what people are expecting, as I said on Sunday, is that Jesus was coming in to, to establish a new kingdom. Uh, not a spiritual kingdom as we know about it now, but a, the new kingdom of Israel. And even in the previous chapter, we see something of that with uh, the mother of James and John uh, saying to Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, uh, let my sons be on your left and your right. And I've, I've got no idea. Uh, there's absolutely no doubt here she's thinking of a physical kingdom. So all that's going on in the background here. There is, as Jesus enters Jerusalem, a kind of sense of revolt in the air. People are looking for revolution. People are looking for liberation. They, they're longing for freedom. And uh, it says in verse 9 that the crowds were both in front of him and behind him. In other words, they were behind him as he was walking from Bethany and Bethphage. They were following him into Jerusalem. And then they were coming out from Jerusalem in great numbers. Uh, and it gives you a sense of perhaps the numbers in this crowd. They were coming from both ways to, to meet Jesus as he entered the gates of Jerusalem. And they're all shouting Hosanna. And Hosanna, probably at this point, had become a kind of word of praise. But its initial meaning was savers, helpers. And in uh, Psalm 118 verse 25, we see the Hebrew variant of that word being used and it's translated as save me. And that's what they're shouting. And that sense of uh, Hosanna in the highest is effectively let all of heaven help us. Uh, it had become a kind of expression of praise, but it was also a cry for deliverance. It was a cry of help. And the outcome of all this we see in verses 10 and 11. Uh, that the whole city was stirred and asked the question, who is this? Uh, it's no surprise that the whole city was stirred. Um, and the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. That's how they knew him. But here he was no longer a prophet. He's coming as king. Let's just spend a few moments thinking about uh, what does all this mean for us now as we go a little bit wider? So there's a couple of things here that we can uh, just draw upon. First of all, is, is just the kingship of Jesus. And, you know, it raised the question, doesn't it, that are we really submitted to him? Are we truly allowing him to direct and guide our lives? Are we allowing his commands to influence our decisions, to influence how we behave, to direct the course of our lives. Uh, it needs to look, it, it needs to affect us on an everyday kind of basis. It's not just on the big things of life, but each and every day we submit ourselves to Jesus the King. And of course, when we look to the, the events of Good Friday, as he is crowned king with the crown of thorns on his head as he dies upon the cross. That ultimate act of servant kingship. That's what we remember his kingship to be about. 
He comes to save us. He comes to bring freedom for us. And it comes with a great cost. And the expectation from him is that we submit to his kingship. A kingship that is truly both powerful and authoritative and gentle and humble. It's all of those things. And a bit like the the Israelites, they're expecting a kind of physical kingship, a physical kingdom. They're expecting revolt. I wonder whether you've got expectations of Jesus that actually don't fit who he really is. Because the Israelites, they, they had this idea of who Jesus was going to be. And, and he just he was not that kind of king. And he was true to his purpose. He stayed true to what God had called him to. And I think sometimes we all have expectations of Jesus and how he's going to liberate us from certain things. But you know, there's, there's times in our lives where we simply have to submit to his kingship, even when it feels like he is not doing what we expected him to do. When most things go wrong, People want God to rescue them. They look to Jesus to be their deliverer. And quite often he is, but not always. Not always. Uh, a friend of mine, a guy I know, uh, he said, uh, you know, when things go wrong, we look for rescue. And Jesus gives resurrection. The problem with resurrection is you have to die first. <laughs> That's the problem, isn't it? You know, And uh, there is a process sometimes that we have to go through where we die to certain things in our lives so that we can experience something of the new resurrection life. And that's painful, at least in the short time of going through that process. But it leads to a a bigger, better, fresher kind of life that we can live in Christ. Don't always look for rescue when Jesus wants to bring resurrection. And as we, the third thing I want to bring out is, you know, the just the sense of control here from Jesus. He knows what he's heading to. He knows he is heading to certain death. He knows that is on the cards. And here he is organizing things, orchestrating it so that he rides in to Jerusalem in a certain way to make a point about who he is. And as we look through this week, the rest of the Easter stories, we look on Good Friday, the stories, look on Easter Sunday. What we, what I, at least I get a sense of is that he is never really out of control. That all the events that seem to happen to him, he seems to expect and understand and it remains in control. It's astonishing when you, you kind of just look at his... Or try to imagine his demeanour as he goes through these things. As you look at how he responds to the events. He knows what's ahead of him. He stays in control. And he fulfils what the Father has required of him. I also want to just pick up on on the, the gentleness and humility of Jesus in this. You know, he comes riding on a donkey. In fact, he comes riding on a colt, a, a baby donkey. Uh, that could have looked a bit ridiculous, I don't know. Um, but he he doesn't come in power. You know, We know at the end of time, he will come in all his glory. But here he's demonstrating his, his gentleness, his humility. And as we start to think about his kingship, 
we should not do so in a way that kind of brings out fear out of us because he's not a fearful king. He's a gentle king. He's a humble king. He's a servant king. Those are all the words that we need to apply to his kingship. He's not some kind of autocratic, dictatorial ruler. He is gentle and compassionate. And he longs for you to understand what his kingship could mean in your life. And what it means usually is freedom. When you submit to his kingship, what it means is deliverance and liberation and freedom. And finally, uh, just to touch on the the events after Palm Sunday or, or the, the, the entry. He goes, the first thing he does is to go to the the beating heart of the Jewish nation, the temple, and cleanses it. And quite often that's what he does with us. He wants to cleanse our hearts so that we are able to properly understand his kingship, properly respond to all that he wants for us. And that cleansing can be messy and chaotic. He'll turn over the tables of our hearts. And we have to expect that. We can't walk into a relationship with Jesus and hope it's just going to be all nice and rosy because if we allow him to be king in our lives, he will turn over tables. The status quo is not an option. So let's uh, look at some questions for you to consider by going a little bit further. So here's uh, a few questions for you to consider as you either reflect on your own or talk about them in your mission communities. Um, and the first one is, I, I would love you to reread the story. Just go over it a couple of times and ask yourself, what surprises me about this story? The problem with some of these stories that we, we read is that we become so accustomed to them that we, we miss things. And so read the story and just put yourself into the story. Imagine being there, imagine being one of the characters. And then ask yourself, what's, what's surprising about this? What stands out for me? Uh, the second question is, uh, how does Jesus being king affect my everyday life? Because it should, shouldn't it, really? Uh, you know, it's not something that's just about the big decisions or the big events of life. Jesus being king should affect every single moment of every single day just just flesh that out what does that actually mean for you the third question is this how have you dealt with times when jesus didn't do what you expected him to do how have you dealt with those times and the four things this how are you going to allow jesus to cleanse your heart in the same way that he went on then to cleanse the temple, he wants to cleanse your heart. And it's, it's, that's an action that we cooperate with G Jesus in. Are you prepared for him to, to turn over the tables of your heart so that it can be cleansed and renewed, so that you can love him afresh? How are you going to cooperate with him in that? Just give that some thought and it's better if you can discuss this in, in groups just to encourage one another, support each other in your daily discipleship. And we all have things in our heart that really need to be turned over. Attitudes, 
uh, feelings that we've not yet dealt with. We all have those things and we all need to deal with them. So how are you going to allow Jesus to do that? So that's uh, our deeper episode today. I'm glad you've joined us. As I said at the beginning, uh, this last one for a few weeks. So do please join us at the end of April uh, for our next edition. Okay, so stay safe and we'll see you soon. Bye.